We are recording. We are recording. <clears throat> Everybody, welcome to episode five. Yeah, this is Success is Obedience to a Structured Way of Life, and we're going to talk about professionalism, ethos, and failure. Yeah, I think that in punk rock or really anything when you're fighting for a cause, it's really easy to run into the situation where you feel like your cause is becoming your entire life and what that means for your identity, what that means for your ethos and the over encompassing fear of failure. Um, but we'll get into that. Uh, how you doing? How was your week? It's been a crazy busy week. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a good time to talk about professionalism because sometimes personal life and professional life clash and I had like a crazy, um, thing that happened where I didn't fulfill a contract by, like, the specified deadline, and then I felt, like, shame, and I went into, like, a shame spiral and didn't reach out because I freeze when I get scared, and it, like, happens once every, like, ten years, but it's just like, oh, what a good reminder to, like, really look at your humanity. Yeah, exactly, that <laughs> you're human. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people have that a lot more frequently than every ten years, so you're still ahead of the curve, I think. Awesome. How was your week? Uh, it was good. It was, it's been interesting. Um, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of changes. Um, but I don't know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. I think, um, one big thing that I should mention is we hit over a hundred plays on this podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. For caring enough to hit that listen button. Yeah, I think we, uh, as of time of recording, we're at 147 plays and 93 unique listeners. How yeah. crazy is that? We never, ever expected that that was going to happen within, like, the first two episodes, and it's just really amazing to have support. Um, all of our friends have been really supportive, our families have been supportive, and just, you know, uh, all of these people that we're connecting with surrounding this podcast we never thought that it would take off as quickly as it is and it just feels really great thank yeah. you thank you thank you thank you for listening and thank you for sharing and you know subscribing and all that good stuff dear listener and you know it it's nice to know that when we address you with these weird off topic kind of things and we're like for anyone who needs this like someone is actually listening you know yeah if it's a nice feeling of community outside of our community i should say um Oh, we'll be looking, we'll be posting more information about how to engage with us on Instagram. You know, we'll have like questions and take feedback and stuff and we'll be trying different platforms so that we can, we can try to build engagement now that we know that you are there. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are discussions and they're not just our discussions. We want to talk to you guys too. We want to hear your opinions. We want to hear your uh, critiques if you have them. Um, happy to hear it. Anyway, you want to talk about what's going on right now? What's going on in the news? You want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> Uh Well, I wanted to talk about just something that's going on locally that's kind of a trip. Um, BJ Penn is an MMA fighter. Well, he's retired from MMA. He has, like, a statue, and he has a bunch of gyms, and, um, like, BJ Penn is running... For governor of the state of Hawaii, his platform is to abolish COVID restrictions and the TSA because he feels like that will make us be able to travel easier or something. All of this aside, it's really hard to think of BJ Penn 
in a governor context, so or in a position of authority uh, for me, because I know BJ Penn as the dude who run, ran his truck off the road into a ditch. You know, he gets arrested for like beating people up and drunk driving and stuff. And so everyone is allowed to change. Everyone is entitled to their journey. But I'm like, is it kind of punk that BJ Penn is running for mayor or like what or governor or like, what is this? I mean, you know, all political opinions aside and like even any like personal opinions about BJ Penn aside, I think that what we see time and time again is that the world moves really quickly, and being a governor is a very huge responsibility. Like, we saw that through COVID, and yeah. I just don't know that, like, fame is the right thing to propel you into politics, you know? Um, especially when your fame is generated out of something that has nothing to do with politics. Like, I understand that he's a local here, I understand that he is, like, a local hero, for sure, but, like, I just, I don't know if I can, like, I don't know if I could see that coinciding with, like, what it's like to have to make a decision during, like, a global pandemic, you know? Yeah. Or, like, what that means when it comes to issues like homelessness. Um, I don't know, I don't know enough about his background to say whether or not he is qualified, but I can just say that, yeah, from a personal, like, understanding of, like, his reputation... Probably, you know, I don't I don't know if it's the best, like, background to be running for governor, especially with the world being in such a fragile state. Yeah, I mean, running for mayor would make sense. He's a local boy. Local boy makes good, like, is, is a common story of people who run for governor and win. Like, we had a governor named Billy Kanoy. He was in, you know, he was deeply involved in gangs and stuff, and then he went to law school, became a lawyer, and then he was the mayor, and then um, it's unclear whether these actions that I'm about to talk about happened before or after he had, like, a terminal illness, but um, then he, you know, did these kinds of things where he would take his corporate or government credit card and, like, go to Korean, you know... Korean bars. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to like say about them. Yeah, like happy, happy, jerky, jerky <laughs> bars. And uh, he was like, oh, I couldn't pay him back, you know. And um, he is still very beloved, beloved, um, especially since, you know, like in the in the time of his like toward the end of his life to now, he is like still so beloved. And uh, Local Boy Makes Good is a great is a story that, like, Hawaii Island really gets behind. So I could see BJ Penn running for governor and having a fair shot, even though he's running, I believe, Republican. Yeah, well, I mean, we watched it happen with Trump, right? So nothing's outside of the realm of possibility these days. It's terrifying to say, but, I mean, you know, fame propelling people into politics is not a new story, and um, it's been a successful story for a lot of those famous people... Who took that route? So that yeah, Ronald got... Reagan was famous too. He was an actor. Schwarzenegger. How long? Yeah. Was oh. Schwarzenegger? <laughs> <laughs> My bad. 
Forgot about him. Yeah, you want to talk about governor? I know Manny Pacquiao, I think, became the governor of the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after his boxing career. And then Wyclef Jean tried to run for the president of Haiti, but he wasn't born there. And then they made some exception, I think. I could be totally misremembering I think this. he embezzled a bunch of money from, like, the Haiti Relief Fund also. Oh, oopsie yeah. doopsie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, uh, yeah, there was like a, there was a big scandal with Wyclef Jean. And oh, oh no, it will be in the show notes. Just, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess one thing I want to call attention to is, and you can look up um, Invisible People on Instagram, uh, but they're calling a lot of attention to the fact that the ban, I guess it was a moratorium on um, like, Tent cities and homeless encampments in LA has been lifted, and now sanitation is going through and just tearing down homeless encampments, towing RVs all over the city. And they're doing a really good job in pointing out that this isn't helpful, and all it's going to do is take people who have some semblance of homes and turn them into street homeless, which is exactly what they don't want. So it's super counterproductive altogether. Yeah. And also, like, all of that money could be reallocated from paying sanitation to tear down their homes to trying to find a better solution. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, one thing that happens when people take away when when these sanitation efforts happen is like they take away people's identities. The only things that they have that really like define themselves to define themselves by and um that stripping of identities is, is really awful and then you brought up a specific example of humiliation that happened that was just terrible yeah i guess some of the sanitation workers had found like a woman's underwear and were like holding up to the sun and laughing at her and it's like general shitty human behavior you know but like what people don't understand is a lot of the homelessness in America has a connotation or, like, a direct connection with, like, mental illness. And when you subject somebody who is already struggling with mental illness to that kind of trauma and that kind of anxiety, like, you're really just... You make the problem so much worse. Like, I, I don't see how this is a solution. I don't see why it's worth spending taxpayer dollars on. Um, and it just kind of makes the world shittier for everybody involved. I mean, anybody living in the city of Los Angeles, like, also he was really remarking on the fact that people were driving by and, you know, yelling nasty things at the homeless people as their homes were being torn down. And it's like, I think that's like a really visceral example of just like dehumanization, dehumanization and just like how counterproductive, right? Like, You, like, what, the kinds of things that people yell at homeless people or, like, oh, get a job and blah, blah, blah. Like, you yelling that shit at them is not helpful. Like, well, and you don't know how many people who are homeless actually have jobs. Like, um, that's, so uh, the majority, um, at least when I, so I did a lot of work in um, homeless services integration into, like, public library systems. Um, and... Most people that are homeless are just transiently homeless. Like, they couldn't afford to pay their rent for a month or two, got kicked out of their house, and are homeless. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they still maintain jobs or are trying to get jobs because they recognize that they don't want to be homeless. You know, there are successful homeless communities, Mm -hmm. like people 
who get together to share resources. We have a homeless community out in Pune. Um, and uh, it's like a, a collective of people who are choosing to be homeless. and mm-hmm. But they have, like, their own resources and networks of, like, I don't know, communities and goods and stuff. And they they still have jobs. Like, homeless people can have jobs. Like, right. Yeah, and I mean, we also need to remember that, like, Prices for groceries, prices for gas, like basic living necessities are through the roof right now. And people who used to be able to afford in the neighborhoods they grew up in cannot afford that anymore and never will be able to again. Most likely, yeah. Why strip away what they are capable of? Like most of these people are just trying to exist in the place where they've always existed and trying to live in the environment that they understand. So I don't know. It It just seems like useless trauma inflicted on innocent human beings and um yeah if you guys want to find more about it um there's plenty about it online right now like i said invisible people is doing a lot of coverage on the whole situation so if you want to find out more you can go check that out i'd like to take a moment to actually um one of my mentors passed away this week her name is dr luz quiroga and she uh, is the one that introduced me to this work in its community informatics and how to um, embed services for homeless people, particularly transient homeless people, into public libraries so that they have access to, you know, um, computers, laptops, even just devices to plug in their phones so that they could communicate with family and um, and mental health services and stuff. So just want to say that I'm thinking about her right Aww. now. Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. I didn't know. I, did, I, for, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So I guess let's, let's move into our topic for today though. Um, yeah. We, you, you have a really good summary of it that, um, that I think is really cool about selling out. Oh, like this, this like definition of punk rock yeah. ethos here. Oh, is that what it is? A definition? Yeah. So I guess like define the punk rock ethos is primarily made up of beliefs such as nonconformity, anti-authoritarianism, anti-corporatism, a do-it-yourself ethic, anti-consumerist, anti-corporate greed, and direct action and not selling out in quotation marks. And I think that actually is a good segue into like what we're talking about because like the definition of selling out, right? Like there's a dichotomy between being a punk rocker and being a professional, I think in a lot of people's minds. And so like what selling out, like selling out has such a negative connotation on it. And like whose definition is it? Right? Like, (laughs) yeah. Is yeah. Okay. So I guess let's start there. Like what is selling out? So when, you know, I was a kid, like, selling out is, like, selling, turning your back on your morals and values for money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what most people associate with selling out. But what gets really hard to uncouple is, is it the money that makes it selling out? Or, it because it should be the compromising of your values and your morals. Right. But we don't always see it that way. We equate money as selling out, I feel like. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, it's, I think, like, we are so quick to forget a lot of people, um, myself included at times, you know, it's really easy to forget that, like, humans are humans, and, like, living is living, and, like, 
sometimes you need money. So, you know what I mean? Like, we all have bills. We all have these things that we need to pay for, families to take care of. Um, and so, like, it seems really unfair to, like, put the label selling out on somebody who is trying to get by, you know? And I don't know if that is, like, the difference between, like, fame and fortune or just fortune or, you know what I mean? Like, the the parallels are super strange. But, like, um, that actually, like, brings up, like, I think we set impossible standards for ourselves a lot of the time. And, like, I think when you have this ethos that you're so committed to, because, like, yeah, that's, that's a great ethos to be committed to. And I agree with that definition of, like, a punk rock ethos, except for the fact that, like, how do you live to that standard all the time when you exist in a society? Like, how... What does it, like, mean to be a punk and to be anti-anything if, like, you are subjected to living in a society, right? Like, yeah. you can't be anti-everything all the time. And both of us do work that is, like, you know, particular to a cause. Um or several causes, but, like, you know, that cause can't be your, like, the standard to which you, like, hold, like, your self-esteem, or, like, how do you, like, tie your identity up in that to be anything beyond your cause? Like, how do you balance, like, having a cause and having, like, a, like, life? you know? Yeah, I think that's a great question. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're asking, like, um, you know, what is the balance between what you do and who you are the rest of the time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, one, one thing that I think is, so it's always exhausting for people who do any kind of activism because like how do you not let yourself get consumed and I think that's when things like self-care and downtime really come like into play because mm. um, part of our impossible standards are uh, they also include like pointing out injustice you know not like a social justice keyboard warrior you know mm -hmm. but just being like this is not cool and if it's in the realm of like where you've decided to do you know your work um, it's really hard to, like, ignore it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just, like, do you not participate in certain things um, where you might be exposed to, like, compromising yourself uh, or, like, your self-care or whatever during your downtime? Like, I don't know. You need downtime for sure. Um, what are some of the impossible standards that you set for yourself? Um, I think that... I, I definitely want to be the kind of person who exists in this world that cares about those around me. Um, we can stop right there because I have <laughs> terrible people skills. And a lot of the time, like, I fall victim to, like, the mentality of, like, everybody's so fucking stupid, you know? And I, like, a lot of the time. Um, and that sucks. That is a shitty mentality for me to have, especially because I do care so much about my fellow man. But, like, you know, when it, on a day-to-day -day basis, when you see so many people doing so many shitty things, it's so hard to want to care about them, you know? And I, like, try really hard to recognize 
people beyond like their surface level or like that like narrow like um, perception or perspective, I'm sorry, that you get from just like your first five minutes of meeting somebody. Um, and I really try to empathize with like, okay, maybe this is just the day they're having today or like they probably have some good qualities in there somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm really bad at that. And I get down on myself a lot for that. Um, and there's a lot of things that I care about and a lot of efforts that I put forth uh, in my professional life and a lot of efforts that I put forth in like my personal life that I can't uphold all the time. Like zero waste is like a big one, right? Like, oh, I would love to be zero waste. Yeah, me fucking too. <laughs> I would love to not participate in Amazon, you know, as oh, like a customer. Oh, me too. Yeah, but you, you know? can't. We live on the big island of Hawaii and free shipping is not a thing here. And like with the cost of how much everything's going up, like free shipping is that they have us by the fucking short and curlies, you know what I mean? Like fucking gotta use Amazon. Um, and I get really disappointed in myself for that. Uh, I think even social media is like one of those things where like, God, I think it's so fucking stupid, but like, I want to be a part of it because I want to be in touch with my friends. And like, <laughs> I feel like I have weird internal conflicts about that as well. Um, just because it is such bullshit, it like creates such a unrealistic view of like your life, you know, I guess it depends on the way that you use it, but yeah, I hate it and I use it all the time. So I guess those are the ways in which I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> but no, those are the impossible standards that I set for myself though, right? Like I'm not, I'm not doing any of these things, um, to be a bad person, they're just the kind of things that happen when you are a human being. Like, uh, I think that we all need to remember that we are, you know, that, like, you can, you can, you can still be a good person and not uphold these, like, huge standards that you have for yourself all the time. Like, every day is a learning experience on how to be a better person. What about you, though? What do you... Um, well, my big one is, um, not failing at things. And, um, so, like, my worth is intrinsically tied to external validation in my career because that's what I want to be known for is, like, the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I want to do good work. I want to do good work all the time. I want to... I think a lot of that comes from, too... Um, like, it's such a weird thing because it's so anti-punk, but, like, if I just, you know, show up and I excel and I give, like, way more, it's more abusive mentality. If I give way more than is asked of me, then I will be worth something mm -hmm. to these people, like, something worth sustaining, you mm -hmm. know, some kind of, like, permanent income or, like, a raise or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I'm trying to, like, break that um, mentality of always being, like, like, achieving, like, right now I'm just, like, I'm, like, can I just meet? Can I meet instead of exceed? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my new impossible standard is just to meet things. <laughs> <laughs> I, like you, also, it took me a long time to see people as people, like, people used to just fulfill, like, a role mm -hmm. in my like, oh, this is my boyfriend. Like, they're accessories, you know. This is my boyfriend. Sure. This is my best friend. This is my boss. And then they fill all these, like, 
like characterizations or stereotypes or whatever. Um, but when I met the mister, um, I used to put my standards on other people. Um, like, I don't know why they're failing at this. It's so easy. Da, 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 da. Like mm-hmm. not taking into account their experience, their comfortability, their like desire or need to reach out what's going on at home. Like not seeing people as holistic people, but like very on in the beginning of our relationship, my mister was like, it's great that you have high standards for yourself, but you can't put those on other people because mm-hmm. they're not you. Um, and I think just kind of really managing like, okay, well, sure, I expect me to do, you know, whatever it is, edit edit a magazine, you know, like in X amount of time or whatever, I think was the project at the time. And like, but the person didn't have the same skill set that I had. So of course, there's going to be like a learning curve. And um, I'm not really a fan of lying to get a job, but most people lie to get jobs. So maybe this person said that they could they could work with Adobe when they couldn't or something, you Mm. know. So I don't know, impossibly high standards uh, are a thing that are now breaking down as I come face to face with my humanity working like three jobs and being on the job market like yeah. I am gonna fail I am failing and then how do I reclaim my self-esteem in the process sure yeah I think like one thing that we maybe touched on in a past episode but I know something that we talk about in like our own time a lot is like that that like moment where you're like fuck when did I become so fearful like I used yeah. to be so fearless you know and like um I even think, like, that is, like, a standard that, you know, as you grow up, I think, like, that's definitely something that develops out of, like, living or, like, growing up in, like, a punk rock scene, right? Is like, you were fearless. You were a fearless kid. Like, just about all of us were at some point. That's how you got to where you are, you know? But, like, um, I think now as an adult, like, fuck, it's scary, <laughs> you know? Like, you gotta have a job you gotta fucking pay your bills you gotta do all of these things like once the romanticism of being like a young punk kind of wears off and like you every day you get hit with like more and more challenges of what it's like to be an adult and like a like functioning member of society I guess if you want to call it that um or like use that language but like yeah I think like it, you don't have to be fearless all the time. The world's fucking scary, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, I always catch myself asking myself that, like, wow, when do you get so scared? But, like, have to remember, like, yeah, well, the world's fucking crazy. So, like, you should be scared. It would be weird if you weren't scared. Yeah, it would be weird if you weren't scared. Um, One thing you brought up was, so we were talking about being fearless and stuff and how that's, like, part of the embodiment of, like, the spirit of being punk and how you get to where you are. I was thinking about the image, uh, the stereotype, rather, that punk rock people are, like, lazy, you can't trust them, you know, like, you would Mm -hmm. never want to employ someone that was punk um, because they might steal from you or, like trash your image or you know all these just negative crazy negative things that are portrayed um in in the media and stuff I was wondering if you were ever lazy because I don't think I was ever lazy no I don't think that it takes so much work oh my god if I think about like what it was like to be a punk rock teenager dude it took so much work like I made my own clothes, dude, you know, like, I made my own clothes, like, just to cultivate, like, the image that I was trying to, like, 
make or like have the world like recognize me as like every day was so much work. I don't do <laughs> nearly that much work in my adult life, you know, like, but I think like it kind of is like a, like, I don't know if it's like a subjective thing, like person to person, but like, I think punk rock, um, definitely like a lot of people who are doers gravitate to punk rock you know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Part of it is the DIY culture, but, like, I did a lot of volunteer work in high school, and, like, uh, I think it really did help foster, like, the, you know, like, identifying causes that I want to be a part of. Like, I want to be a part of the solution, and that's something that I got to do Mm -hmm. through volunteer work as a punk. And then it also helped change the perception of, like, punk in our community. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, like, you know, that's that's definitely not how everybody gets their start in punk rock, and, like, definitely for me and, like, a bunch of my friends, most of the kids I grew up with, like, it was just more about, like, freedom, and, like, you know, we're all kind of shitty, we're all kind of gnarly kids at one point or another, you know, but, like, I think, like, that sense of community that I had with those kids, though, is what taught me the value of community, or, like, how to be accepting of people's, like, idiosyncrasies, you Yeah. Know? So, regardless of, like, how you get there, I think that, like, that's definitely a value that punk rock will eventually instill in you, regardless of whether or not you're seeking it out, you know? Um, yeah, the doer, not the not the lazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, and, like, you know, it, it's a lot of work to care, you know? Like, and I think we're all probably involved in punk rock culture because we care. You know, yeah. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit too about what success looks like on an individual level. And like, I think one value that I carry with me from like one punk rock value is like, this is who I am, you know, like, um, sometimes it's unapologetic and sometimes it's not, but it's just like, I'm not gonna get like dressed up more than I normally would, like, um, if I'm not having a great day, I'm going to be honest about it, like, professionally, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, like, stuff's going on, but it's cool, like, let's talk about whatever our meeting is, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, just acknowledging who I am, it helps to honor, like, me authentically, so, like, I think for me, um, like, success isn't manufactured, and that's, like, or it's not a manufactured presentation, which is something I still feel, like, happens in, you know, traditional media, mm-hmm. you know, especially social media with everyone trying to put on their best face or whatever. Like, I I think that, yeah, that's one thing that I struggle with with social media is, like, if I don't have anything going on, I'm not going to post anything because I don't really want to manufacture something that isn't there. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Success is interesting, you know, because, like, I think that it in itself has its own kind of, like, um, mythos about it, you know, like, uh, the the titular line for this episode, like, success is obedience to a structured way of life, like, yeah, um... I think that is, like, the mythos around success, right? That, you like, you have built some kind of successful life based on somebody else's standard of what success looks like. Yeah. Uh, Success for me is super romantic, I think, in, like, the sense of, like, I think 
the most important thing for me in my life to define success is that I am not wasting my time. Ooh, I like that. Um, yeah, that's like, <laughs> it's a big one for me. I, <laughs> and that's like, maybe even relates back to the impossible standards, right? Because like, there's so many days of my life, especially living on this island where I'm like, fuck, I'm so bored. I'm just like wasting my time just sitting here, you know? And, um, I have a lot of like, a lot of issues, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> self, self-inflicted issues with that. But like, yeah, for me, like, I think my overall definition of success is going to be able to look back at my life at the end of my life, wherever that may be, and just say, I, I used my time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, professionalism, like, when professionalism comes into it, like, everything that I do has to fit into that idea of success, though. Like, I'm not going to do anything I did for a long time. I waited tables. I did jobs that I fucking hated, you know? Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just not my idea of success, you know? And as a professional and being in the field that I work in, like, the reason that it was appealing to me at all was because at least, like, my job was going to be writing for a cause, you know? So, but, like, even that, like, that's not successful if it doesn't allow me to travel, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, it's not successful if, if I wake up every day hating my fucking job, you know? And, like, I have my own struggles with that, so... Um, I think it's kind of like, it's subjective for sure, but it's also kind of like this chameleon for, for like person to person, like how you define success and what that means, like on a personal level, on a professional level, or, you know, really just at all. Like, how do you, how does one achieve success if like... I guess I should say, like, no one will ever achieve success if you're trying to live up to somebody else's standards. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to really figure it out for yourself. I know, like, when I look back at my life, I just want to know that I got to do everything that I wanted to do, you know? And, like, am I I happy, in quotes, on the day-to-day? Like, um, and if I'm not, what can I do to change it? And I think anytime... I can face, like, the things that I'm afraid of, even if it's scary or I don't want to. (laughs) I know that that change and growth is on the other side of that, and, you know, that's definitely a part of what success is for me. I also, travel is a big part of what success is to me, and I do want to own our own home, but that's because we have, like, a legacy plan of what Mm -hmm. we want to do. We want to, we want to buy, like, a large acreage, and build a whole bunch of tiny homes on it so that students can bring their pets. It's for students with with pets. That's Um, awesome. Yeah, and they, you know, so we'll gift it to the university, and they'll have to maintain the property and do communal gardens and, like, hang out and um, do stuff, like, once a week, you know. But that's our our legacy plan, and so everything is kind of, like, in movement towards that goal and so like when I do feel professional frustration like I'm like but I have this big plan like how am I gonna accomplish this big plan without like money (laughs) yeah yeah you know like uh it's a callback to like when you have those struggles where like you wake up like hating your job or like you know things like that like it's really hard to 
it's really hard to avoid that sometimes in life because yeah. you you need to make money, you know, and like if you have long-term goals, like it becomes like this like um idea of like sacrifice for like a bigger picture, you know. Um and I think it's really easy to fall prey to that. I also like think that a lot of people like um you're a PhD. Like I think a lot of people well, I know for a fact that a lot of people who end up with schizophrenic um, symptoms or, like, just full-blown, uh, like, episodes are PhD students. And I think that it is this, like, idea of success that you're, like, trying to achieve, you know? Because, like, that's a big one. Like, you're getting a degree. It's something that shows on paper that you're successful. Okay, that brings up something I wasn't expecting to go here at all. Okay, so in, I think the most recent one that I can recall was in 2018. Every so often, this big national grad student organization does this, like, survey of the state of grad students. Mm -hmm. And three out of four doctoral students developed some kind of mental disorder. I don't want, it's not a mental disorder, but like anxiety, depression. Um, and it's hard to tell if it was always there and then it just like emerged, mm -hmm. you know, because of the stress, the confines of trying to like live up to other people's impossible standards when they don't tell you what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, and talk about a really isolating process. Like, a lot of it um, come like manifests because, like, you are alone working on this, this thing. There's a great article called The Valley of Shit. And um, it's about how uh, when you reach ABD, which is all but dissertation, so you've defended all your coursework, you're, you're just kind of in this amorphous place called The Valley of Shit, and you're just hearing all these negative criticisms, and you feel like you have to deal with it alone because you're weirdly taught to be competitive mm -hmm. like and like that so many things matter that don't actually matter like um you know who your advisor is or you know that you get into like that the idea that you pick is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life so you better pick a good one you know like uh all these impossible things and you're left with all this like negative stuff and this isn't the experience of everybody of course but and like my experience was especially like traumatic and terrible um but um you walk through the valley of shit alone and until you make connections with other people who are going through what you're going through you don't understand that there even is community because you're not taught to rely on anybody sure that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean i think like this concrete idea of, like, what success is, especially in academia, because you matriculate in an academia, so, like, it's an ascension. Mm -hmm. um, there's, like, that's, that's a really gnarly, like, idea of, like, somebody else's success, because you, you're literally, like, putting yourself into the position to, like, learn somebody else's material, and, like, you're tested on how well you know that material, and, like, Basically, everything that you do for the rest of your life in academia is just going to be, like, a ascension from, like, where you started to, like, where it goes until you retire. And, like, even then, like, do you retire with a doctorate? Do you retire, like, did you fail if you only got your bachelor's? You know what I mean? Like, where where does it, like, where <laughs> where is, like, the, the true line of success there, right? Yeah. And like I said, I think that's subjective from person to person. Yeah. 
Um, but, like, I think that's, like, a good place to, like, talk about, like, what it is to feel beholden to the thing that you want to be successful in. So, like, whether it's your ethos or it's your identity or your cause, like, feeling... When you feel beholden to that in a way that's detrimental... Yeah, you become, like, a slave to it. Yeah, and I think that happens a lot for a lot of people. Like, I think, you know, the idea of success causes a lot of anxiety. That's for sure. Um, But, like, even you know, like, mental, like, uh, challenges, like, depression, you know, like, if you, you want to be this person so badly, and, like, why can't you be this person, you know, like, you work so hard, I feel like, um, in, like, the physical industry, like, in fitness, this happens a lot, you know, where people spend so much time trying to, like, build this, like, physique that is so perfect to the world, but, like, you... Sometimes, like, you just don't have the genes to look the way that you want to look. Or, like, sometimes you're just not built that way. You know, like, we all have, like, um, ideals like beauty or, like, what we would like to look like for ourselves, right? And so, like, that is a huge example of, like, when, like, being committed and being beholden and, like, working really hard, like, can be totally detrimental to like, your your actual self. Yeah, so I'm a wrestling fan, and um, a lot of male wrestlers are coming out now to talk about body dysmorphia and the, um, the struggles and challenges that they face with looking in the mirror and, and seeing, like, fat in places they don't want it, and, like, um, so, you know, in response to that, becoming bulimic or anorexic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really great because men don't really talk about body issues the same way that women do. Um, I think cause every woman knows that from birth, basically we're upheld to like this standard, this unachievable standard of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, uh, this isn't, like, really related to punk rock. It's related to food and stuff. Like, um, it's really hard to be paleo or or any kind, hold yourself to any kind of dietary standard for longer than, for me, it was for longer than two years. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, I do just want to have a regular piece of cake, you mm-hmm. know, or I want to have, like, pizza. And then, like... The shame that comes along with that, that's the detriment. I, You know, like, being beholden to the idea of, like, well, I have to do this thing because it's good for me, mm-hmm. you know, is, has caused, like, you know, it's not like a backlash or, you know, like, I'm not rebelling against my dietary standards, but it is just, like, when do I get to be fucking human? Like, why can't I have a piece of cake and not wear it for, like, ever, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean... Like, when you do relate that back to, like, punk rock ethos and, like, anti-authoritarianism or, like, anti-corporatism, like, when you do have to play by those rules, like, when you have to fucking order things off Amazon, like, we were talking about, like, it feels shitty, yeah, you know? But, like, I couldn't possibly, like, beat myself up over that every time I have to do it, you know what I mean? Like, I can definitely strive to find alternative ways But, like, it is a challenge, and, like, so, like, 
anti-corporatism is, I think, a big one that can be really stressful, you know, where it's like, fuck, we live in a capitalist society, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I really do believe, though, that I can make a difference with where I spend my dollars. And mm-hmm. so those are the choices that I make, like, even if it's on um, Amazon, it's how can I prioritize, like, a small business over, sure. you know, like, a, a large manufacturer. I mean, it sucks having to go to Walmart for the good, like, bird seed, but they have, like, 40-pound bag for, like, $20. Yeah. I have a lot. I have a peahen, and I have some chickens that I am, like, a steward of, um, so that's why bird seed came up, you know, but, um, like, yeah, anti-corporatism is, especially in our small community, like, I would rather give money to, you know, um, Jay Hara store, shout out to Jay Hara store in Curtis town. When they have bird seed, I'd rather pick it up from there because mm-hmm. it's a local business that I can get something from. Even if I pay a little more, I know that it stays in the community and I'm doing some, some kind of good. Yeah. I think like working in the agricultural industry here, it's really interesting because like we should be buying local produce. There's tons of it here. It's affordable. There's endless amounts of farmers markets to shop at, you know, um, but like the way that they get you is for every $3 it is to buy broccoli at a farmer's market, it's a buck 50 at Target, right? And so like that exacerbates a whole lot of problems like, um, shipping and like that impact on the environment or just like, you know, the whole supply chain issue that like excuse me, we're facing as a country right now. Um, you know, everything is a domino effect. And what sucks is that they they make it that way so that it's, it's easier to want to buy from Target. Because if you are struggling to feed your family, $1.50 sounds a lot better than $3, you know? Yeah, we um, recently... I guess recently, like two or three years ago, made the decision to, you know, primarily go local for almost everything um, for food Uh, because we're trying to get our state is trying to get to a place of sustainability where we don't rely on shipping as much by the year 2050. So there's these agricultural initiatives, which is why Diz is fortunate enough to work in nonprofit ag fields. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, there's all these different chicken and pig and cattle farms. There's also like fruit and vegetable farmers. Um, And so we actually save money on the fruit and vegetable end, Mm -hmm. but not at all on the animal production end. And so, you know, when we do buy things in bulk, like when we buy chicken in bulk, we'll go to our local cost you less, which is like Costco, like they actually use the same distributor as Costco, but again, it's local and it's also not 99 miles away. Um, (laughs) Yeah. They have a major inflation on their prices though, because of it for the convenience of like serving the East side of the Island. Um, But like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, uh, you know, KTA is like our local uh, grocery store here. And I would rather spend my money at KTA than any other grocery store that we have available to us. Um, Same. But, 
you know, like I said, like there, there's just going to be those times where like, and you like those situations where you just can't afford it. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's fucking capitalism. They do that on purpose, you know? Yeah. And that, you know, is increasing more and more things are becoming less and less affordable. Like you talked about earlier and like, it's the same with supporting local local businesses too Mm -hmm. like uh, because the cost of manufacturing and shipping is on their end too you know like we have to pay for their access to distribution right yeah I mean so you know like that I think like on a personal level like all three of those things tie in there for me like that's ethos that's identity that is um cause like I'm I feel beholden to all of those things. And that's great. That means that I care enough about what's going on around me, just like you care enough, you know, about what's going around on around you. And it's like I think like the only the only time that it becomes like a issue is when it becomes detrimental to you, right? So like sometimes it's it's a detriment to be beholden to your cause because it starts weighing on you the way you judge yourself, the way that you judge others around you. Um, And I think through that, you're kind of, like, building your own parameters of success for other people to live up to. Yeah. Which sucks, you know? Like, we're all guilty of it. Um, And so I think it's really important to remember your own humanity when you do like branch out into these like um subcategories of who you are your ethos your identity uh your the causes that you fight for like remembering who you that or not who you are but like what you are you're a human being yeah so what um what kinds of things do you see as when does it become like self-limitation for you? Like when does trying to hold yourself to these ideals, how do you know when it's, when it's depreciating to your own self-value and like self-limiting instead of like enriching your life? Um, for me personally, it's apathy. Um, apathy is something that hits me really hard. And that's for like, probably a number of different reasons that we'll get into in future episodes when we start talking more about like mental health and stuff like that. But, um, apathy hits me really hard and it's amazing. I, I struggle with this almost daily where I know that I care about something because I know that it's important to my life, but I don't care about it enough to like practice it or, like, want to put work toward it, and that happens a lot with my job, I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, and not just my job, but, like, sometimes you work on a project, you know, you'll be working with a client who has this project that they're really passionate about, and you read over it, and you're just like, oh my god, (laughs) like, um, they're not all winners, all the ideas, you know, but, like, your job is to make this idea sound like a winner, and when you don't care, enough about it like I suck into this place where I just immediately am like I'll fucking do this later I don't want to deal with this right now you know (laughs) (laughs) like that kind of apathy is 
like, I mean, my entire life, and I should have just said it's in the nonprofit sector, like, my every job I've ever had has felt, I always hit a point of apathy where I'm just like, fuck, I don't care about this at all. Like, I get really heady. I get really, like, existential about, like, why I'm even, like, committing my time to doing this at all. Um, I start fantasizing about all the other things that I could be doing that I would enjoy doing more. But, like, those are fucking fantasies, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not necessarily in a place where I could, like, actually do those things right now. Like, I'm doing this job because I have to make money. Um, so, for me, it's apathy. I definitely... When I care about doing something, I will work 110% at it, you know? Um, I I taught myself how to play music, you know? Um, I play several different instruments, all self-taught, like, gave a shit about that enough to put the time into it, you know? Languages, I love languages, I'll learn languages for no reason. Never gonna speak them, just, just want to know, you know? <laughs> and so I think there's, like, a definite line with the way that I like, conceive passion and apathy for a cause. And, like, once the slightest hint of apathy starts, like, leaking in, then, like, I know that I've hit a limitation with this cause or this ethos or this, like, um, identity that I'm trying to convey to the world, like, when I just don't fucking care about it anymore. And, like, we can relate that one back to fitness, too, like, you know, Everyone has, like, those moments where you get on, like, this big regimen and you're like, I'm gonna fucking jog every day. And then, like, <laughs> no, you're not, probably not, you know? Yeah. But, like, um, it's not that these things are bad goals to have or bad, like, causes to support or uh, even, like, a bad, like, code of ethics to live by. It's just... Sometimes they're not the right ones for you. I think there's a lot of, like, weeding out, right? Like, and, like, um... Or even just stepping away from something for long enough to realize that, like, maybe you do care more about it than you think, but, like, you know, you need a vacation sometimes just for your own psyche. Yeah. That um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What is What does self-limitation feel like for you? Um... That's a good question. So I'm one of the three out of four students in 2018 that identified with um, developing anxiety through my doctoral program. Woo! Uh, probably more on that later. So um, later down the line in episodes, not later today. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I get really anxious. Um, if I'm trying to like conform to something. So there's a couple of things that I know about myself through going to therapy. I highly advocate that people go to therapy to improve their relationships with themselves, work on things that like don't make them feel good about themselves or like if they want to improve their interpersonal relationships with others like because um we aren't taught how to do that in school. So I go to therapy. Therapy is amazing for me. It may not be for everyone, um, whatever. But so I get really anxious um, when I'm trying to live up to other people's standards. I think I um, came out of college at a time where like having tattoos was still like not accepted in the workplace. Mm. So, you know, I had to do a lot of like camouflaging and masking. And so it was, it wasn't selling out 
in actually my values, but it was presenting as if I didn't align with, with the values in ethos that I had about like my own self presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is cause I worked at, um, I worked at a nonprofit. I worked at the Girl Scouts. Um, and so I would get tattoos, but not anywhere visible. Um, when I started working in the university system as not a student, um, I wore jackets all the time. It was also really cold because air conditioning is really cold. So it wasn't that big a deal. Uh, but jackets, and then people would see my tattoos and they're like, oh, you know, that's okay, right? And I would be like, no, I didn't. Cool. And, you know, so just the freedom to wear less jackets was nice. And then <laughs> <laughs> I always told myself after I got tenure, um, I would get blue hair, but it didn't look like I was even going to get a doctorate, you know, mm-hmm. like in 2016 or whatever, 2017. And so... I was just like, what am I waiting for? I should just live my life. And I dyed my hair blue. And like my boss just loved it. You know, she was so supportive of me being able to like engage in my own self-expression, especially. And it felt so good as someone that used to dye my hair like as a point of Mm -hmm. self-expression. I would dye my hair. And then when I didn't dye my hair, I got my nails done. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause like you have to show some part of your sparkle, yeah, I feel sure. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, so if I feel like claustrophobic, uh, all this to say, like, if I feel claustrophobic, like any part of that is not going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, if I develop anxiety, if I develop anxiety, um, over it, over decisions or projects or the way that things are going, Um, And another big thing, so this is why therapy is important, is because I freeze. And I didn't even know that freezing was like an option. So it's like fight, flight, or freeze. And when things are really overwhelming or like self-limiting to me and I don't know what to do, I will freeze. And that's kind of what happened to me professionally like this weekend. I kind of just like froze. And like I spend a lot of time in my head like shame spiraling like Mm -hmm. oh here you are inactive and not reaching out so like my yeah those are my big things communicating anxiety and freezing yeah it's it's really interesting like the way that um I think like when you when you do hit like self-limitation like the funny or I guess ironic thing about it is a lot of people like just suck into themselves, you know, which is like, that's like the person you're mad at. So it's funny that like you do like so many people cut themselves off from like the world around them to like feel these feelings of like angst or like anxiety or like depression. And it's just really ironic. That's that's, like how so many human beings handle that situation, you know, where it's like, I bet if you, like, talked (laughs) about it, you know, probably to, like, your peers or, like, you know, just reach out about it, like, it it would probably get resolved a lot faster. I think, like, the most powerful thing that, like, human beings can hear is, like, me too, right? Yeah. um, And so I guess, uh, yeah, just a reminder to people that, like, when you do get into those states, if you hit, like, self-limitation and you, your cause, ethos, or identity does become detrimental, like... It happens to everybody, and, like, 
you know, don't shut down because of it. Because that's that's when it actually gets unhealthy. It's when you start shutting down. Yeah, don't shut down. Reach out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounded so cheesy. But yeah, it's the truth. It is the truth. I mean, um, because like, yeah, a lack of structure does not equal a lack of professionalism or capability. Um, it does not, like... Some people don't know what they're doing um, for, like, a long-term goal, right? Like I was like, we could just leave it at some people don't know what they're doing. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah. Like, a lot of people don't have plans. I don't like to have plans. It's not... It's never been, like, my MO in life, you know? Um, so, like, I think it is important to remember that, like, you know... I have, like, a career path that I'm on, or, like, Alicia has a degree, and, like, all of those things, like, sound like we have, like, these, like, carved out paths that, like, we're on. Um, they're, they're, they're not nearly as structured as, like, the, like, overall summary of them <laughs> would make them seem. Yeah, we're not... Um, so there are favored people that do have, like, a carved out path, and yeah. I have never been a favored person. Yeah, like, sure. <laughs> Ain't no fortunate son. Nope. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, just remembering that, like, a lack of structure, like, if you're figuring things out, like, try things, you know, try all the things, because, like, that's not a waste of time, by the way. Like, if your idea is, like, my idea of success where you just don't want to waste your time, then, like... Just keep trying things. That's never a waste of time. Yeah, because everything that you learn that you don't want to do is something that you learned. Right. Like, you don't have to worry about if you're going to be good at it, if you're going to like it, because, like, like you're just in the act of doing it, you're getting more information about yourself and the kind of life that you want to build or have. Yeah, and, like, you know, if, if your idea of success is having, like, a carved-out plan, then, like... I feel like you're going to have a lot more anxiety going that route, probably, but that doesn't negate the fact that it's totally a valid way to live your life and, like, more power to you if you are capable of, like, compartmentalizing yourself that way. Um, but, like, as a professional, like, from a professional standpoint, like, a lack of structure is healthy. It's creative, I think. It uh, invites new ideas and inspires critical thinking. And then from, like, an ethos standpoint and, like, your capability of, like, what you can do, like, we touched on this on an earlier episode, but, like, anything you can do is worth doing. So if you don't have, like, a particular cause that you're fighting for or you don't know, like, what cause is your fight yet, like, try them all. You're not wasting your time. Yeah, I also, so, um, we talk a lot about how we believe in purpose for ourselves and not everybody does. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my friends just posted something the other day. And so I did want to acknowledge that this idea is valid, like that, um, purpose isn't for everyone mm -hmm. and not everything has to have a purpose. And that's okay too. If you are experimenting, you know, with like causes or jobs, you know, like it doesn't have to be this thing that's pregnant with meaning if that's not you know, like, what you want. Um, we, uh, Diz and I, are very purpose-aligned. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that is important to us, that that we're doing something in the realm that we want to work in or the, that, you know, and we, we can make a difference or, you know, make a dent because 
difference is hard to see sometimes. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, even a dent is hard to see sometimes, but I think, like, um, in the smallest ways, when you see the effort you put forth, like, come to any kind of fruition, you know, um, that that's worth seeing, you know, like, in anything that you do in life, um, like, so I think when we, like, talk about punk rock ethos and we talk about success and we talk about all of these defining characteristics that make, that make up, you know, an identity, if you identify as a punk rocker, if you identify as a professional, if you identify as whatever you're identifying as, like, I think, like, one of the best things that you can do is, like, Remember that, like, picking and choosing and, like, carving out your own path is the most punk rock thing you can do. That's right? what I was thinking, the most punk rock thing. Yeah. Um, I think before we wrap it up, I do have a question for you, which is, did you ever feel like a sellout? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was, like, a sellout kind of situation. I can tell you, like, this is, like... We can get further into this another day, but um, when I was about 18 or 19, my one of my close friends committed suicide, mm. and um, sorry I think at that. that point in my life, I got really, really lost, and I questioned everything about who I was. Like, I even went to church a few times just to try to, like, find some kind of fucking meaning to it, you know? I think, like, when you experience tragedies like that, you it's human to want to get an understanding of the situation. And sometimes there is no understanding of the situation. Um, and I think, like, there was, like, a little bit of a period of my life where I tried to pretend like I wasn't this person. Um, and I can tell you it was the most unhappy I've ever been. Hmm. Uh, I felt lost and confused and just full of shit all the time. Um, it wasn't until... I met my mentor, actually, who's one of my best friends, Katie, and my partner, that, like, I, which I was probably around 21 at that point, um, mm -hmm. I, like, started coming back out of, like, that shell that I had made for myself and just realizing that, like, I'm so much happier when I'm just being the person I am and not pretending to be anything else, you know? And that's... It's really funny because I have such a reputation of being so distinctly Diz all the time. Sometimes it's not a good thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, like, um, yeah, that definitely that definitely took a little hiatus at one point in my life, and I was fucking miserable. Yeah. What about you? Um, I think I had just finished up my master's, and I was maybe two years deep into working at a university on Oahu doing all the covering and everything and of my tattoos and really learning how to be like business professional in Hawaii, which is like different than business professional in other places because, mm -hmm. you know, like local culture takes in all these different value systems and structures. And like, we have a lot of deferment, um, to your elders and like knowing when to speak when when spoken to and like all this kind of stuff that was just being passed on to me from like a um like a uh a generational perspective of how work should look mm -hmm. and I was like I am miserable that's another thing I will be very I've, I recognize a long period of unhappiness in myself 
um, when uh, I'm doing self-limiting. Um, and so in that time period, I was like, I, I can't live like this forever. Like, I can't keep hiding parts of who I am. And, like, um, it stems from something that we'll talk about um, later about, like, um, how you present yourself on paper, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, that started a long several-year journey um, to really kind of embracing, like, my authentic self and my whole experience as a person and really wanting to, like, share that with with people because I feel like it'll be really ins- an inspirational story. And just in, like, the past... Um, well, since I started teaching at UH Hilo, I think I, I didn't feel like a sellout. I started to feel like I had made it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like, oh, this is something that I can't, like, I can sustain uh, teaching. And, like, um, in the English department, so really what we focus on is, like, teaching subversion and, and being critical. That's, like, basically what a degree in English is, mm-hmm. is, is you're teaching people how to think how to be critical of ideas and systems and how to subvert those ideas and systems. Mm-hmm. So that felt very like not selling out, even though I am like an authority figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like I said, or like what we were talking about earlier, you know, like it's such a, it's such a moving target, right? Like the definition of selling out because like it's so subjective. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess if there's something else you want to add and wrap it up today. Yeah, no. Um, oh, this is just a reminder that we're on stolen land. The Kingdom of Hawaii was uh, ceded to the United States of America in order to reduce uh, bloodshed and violence against the Hawaiian people. And uh, we're here without a treaty. Yep. And we... Can, and ourselves and you can do lots of things to aid in the fight for indigenous rights um, if you so care to look into it. Uh, yeah, so our shout outs this week. Um, I am shouting out Sasha Takshablu. Sasha, I hope I pronounced that right. LaPointe. Uh, she just released a book called Red Paint, and it is an ancestral autobiography of a Coast Salish punk. Yay! Um, she is an indigenous artist who blends the aesthetics of punk rock with the traditional and spiritual practices of the women in her lineage. And uh, it's a really beautiful book. It's very poetic, um, the way that it's written. And if you're interested, it's available everywhere books are sold. Sweet. Okay, thanks. And uh, bye. Yeah, have a good night. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Without the...